Welcome to Nerd vs. World, episode 88, Nerd Games 2, The Dead Code. I'm Brendan. And I'm Spindles. And on today's episode, we are packing even more in than normal. <laughs> we will be having the full roundup of EGX 2017. There are film reviews for It and American Assassin, uh, a roundup and a recap of the re- new debuting shows, discussion of the Orville vs. Star Trek Discovery, uh, talking about Netflix's American Vandals, and I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff, which we will mention as we go along. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Um, but let's jump straight in, then, with EGX 2017. Indeed. So, just about recovered from four days of computer gaming. It, it, I think it's less about the game. It's more about the wandering around a lot. Yeah. You know, anyone who says that gaming's a sedentary activity is completely wrong. Yeah, I think I clocked up about 30,000 steps over the course of the weekend. Yeah, I think I was 15,000 on the first day, 12,000 on the next, and then it dropped down to about 10 because I only did a half day on the Saturday. It's quite sad that when you look at my tr- my health tracker on my iPhone, all the spikes correspond with conventions. <laughs> like, most of the time I'm lucky if I hit 5k steps a day, yeah. but conventions really ramp it up. Um yeah, I, t- I took a holiday to go to the con, and I've had to take an extra holiday to recover from it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it. It was a really good show again because it, it was great last year. It was it was great this year. Um, what were your what were your highlights? Oh, there were loads. I mean, I, I guess the the odd thing is is that yeah, we, we've been a couple of years now, but I don't think we've ever actually managed to make it to a panel in the entire time we've been going no, to this con. True. Nor- yeah, well, there's, there's just so much to do. Yeah, I mean, norm- normally kind of paddles are the main things that we go to cons for, whereas EGX, we go to play a fuck-ton of games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's look at the games you've played then. Have you got a top five? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got a whole list of ones that I really enjoyed, but if you're asking me what my highlight of the weekend was, I, I, I would say it fairly obviously kicking your punk ass at uh, WWE 2K18. Oh, I'm still so fucking salty about that. Like, <laughs> just because I didn't know the controls were getting back into the ring. I think, like, narratively speaking, John Cena winning by countout against Samoa Joe just seems weak. Yeah. It seems like the heel face um, roles have definitely been reversed in that situation. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, I did come outside the ring and then just, like, yeah... Completely yeah. did you over with a finishing move outside the ring. <laughs> Use the attitude of just adjustment on the outside the ring, and then just like lucked your way back in, or like <laughs> fucked outside. Um, yeah, in all fairness, you should have had me because you had me in submission holds and all sorts before that, and were utterly kicking my ass. And you even yeah. pinned me a few times, and then went, "Nope, I'm going to punish you yeah, more." Yeah. Well, I was, I did the, the proper heel tactic of yeah. like going for the pin, and then just like letting you kick out after one just to taunt you. But, you know, being the heel, it backfired on me. It did indeed. So it was it was classic WWE, and yeah, I'm happy I got to kick your ass. Yeah, much like No Mercy this weekend, it was a great match, but with a really disappointing ending. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, that was my highlight of the weekend. If if, if really? we're talking just the um, the games highlights of the weekend for me, um, I, I I got I loved getting onto the PlayStation VR finally. Yeah, I've been I've been dying to get on this for the last two conventions now, last two EGXs, uh, and I've never managed to get an appointment. But uh, I, I I went in first thing on the Saturday morning, went and signed up, uh, and was queuing while praying that I wasn't going to end up playing Gran Turismo because I hate driving games, uh, and finally ended up getting to play Skyrim. Yeah, and, you got Skyrim VR. And Skyrim in VR was awesome. I mean, the the, the controls were a little bit. Uh, took a little bit of getting used to, because it's kind of like the um, the old mist system of having to click to go forwards yeah. and then being able to kind of look around the environment that you're in. Uh, so that took a little bit of getting used to, and also uh, getting used to the fact that when you're holding the sword and attacking an enemy, you not only have to press the button, but you have to actually swing the sword at them at the same time. Yeah. So that took a little while. Magic was great because you just have to press the fire button and then aim your magic. So I kind of had fire in my left hand and a sword in the right and then somehow managed to drop my sword. So I ended up dual wielding flame, which was great. And it was one of the one of those uh, the bits of Skyrim that I know quite well where you go down and kill the spiders and then you find the guy who has the... It's one of the claws yeah. and... Uh, you free him and he runs away, but uh, no, I just dual wielded fire, charcoaled him. <laughs> you got all the you got all Daenerys on him, indeed. But, uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's kind of odd watch. It was odd watching you play a VR game. Yeah, how yeah. how was it from your perspective? From my perspective, like I could see what you had to do. It's 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 even more frustrating, I think, than watching someone play a normal game. Because okay. at least with the at least when you're watching someone play a normal game and they seem to be flailing a little bit, you can just point to them because they can actually see and interact with you. But like watching you, you're, although you're there, you're almost completely isolated from me by the headset and yeah. the goggles. So yeah, it was it was kind of kind of weird. Like it made spectating a very individual thing rather than like a more conversational thing like you would normally have like. With couch co-op, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the, the, it would be interesting to see how a kind of multiplayer VR experience turns out. Well, we're getting so close to the Oasis. I can't wait. Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, the, the, with Star Trek Bridge Crew is the one game that I've been dying to play as well, and I've not got around to playing that yet. And that's you know four-player couch co-op VR. Yeah, like if it's anything like Artemis uh, Spaceship Simulator, but with VR, it'd be fucking awesome because yeah. Artemis is great. Yeah. Oh, on um, on that Emma is, is is literally just finishing Ready Player One at the moment. Really? Yeah. Finally got her to read it. Finally. So, yeah, yeah. So she's just finishing that off now while we're recording. Awesome. So I will be catching up with her afterwards and finding out her thoughts. But she, Great. I think she was like, yeah, it, it's a bit of a dull, boring intro of lists of things he likes, and then it kind of picked up from the moment that he he found the first uh, found the tomb. Yeah, yeah. When he finds the, the the first the first key, yeah, that was that was the point where she got hooked. Yeah. Um, anyway, other other games in terms of VR, there was a lot of interesting stuff there. The one that kind of captured my imagination the most that I didn't go on, and also links to Ready Player One, was a thing called Theater VR. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I saw it. So it's basically you you take on the role of an actor performing in Hamlet. 
and you have to perform the role and deliver the lines and interact with a bunch of motion-captured performances of other actors. And so it's kind of getting towards that first gate war games type thing. Yeah, the war games quest. Yeah. So that 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 intrigued me as an idea. I mean, the execution's still in it very much in its early infancy, but uh, I, I like the the possibilities of that one. Yeah, I suppose it, it, it positions VR as like your own personal holodeck. Indeed, and also allows it to be interactive because not only yeah. can you be on stage doing it, you can be a member of the audience watching it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So you can have like an entire VR audience watching an entire VR performance. That's pretty cool. Which is pretty awesome. So I I, I like the possibilities of that one. Um, so other games that I really liked. Oh, let me have a think. Well, you you go for one for you while I'm while I'm looking at my list. Okay, so I'm I'm not massively about the AAA titles. For me, EGX is all about the indie zone. So it's all about Rezzed. Uh, and this year they had the Transfuser Zone as well, which is like, I don't know, I guess it's like the stage before you become an indie dev at the rest section, so it's like students pitching ideas. Well, I was going to say, wasn't it, everything in that Transfuser section was sponsored by a university? Yeah, so it's like, I think it's, the, the game I played was a 10-week student project um, called We Go Alone, which was a really, really interesting puzzle game. Like... Obviously, uh, graphics and gameplay and the, and the tutorial were a little janky because it was it was a project game. Mm-hmm. But the gameplay was really interesting. It was it's, it was like navigating through a maze, but rather than having uh, a single plane with different turns and dead ends, it was split over like three or four levels, and you had to work out when to cross over to the next level and work away around a three D sort of maze whilst collecting uh, gems and eventually solving a puzzle. Um, and, and the game played out like a memory, so th- things are a bit fractured, and you're trying to work out and piece together um, little pieces of of a story. Um, and, and I thought it was really fun. It was an enjoyable little game. One of the one of the fun games that I played in the Transfuser Zone, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to offset it with one of the aforementioned AAA, AAA titles, yeah, which, one? which is Detroit Become Human. Ah, uh, yeah, you love that one. Which I've I've been again waiting for a very long time. When I went on the uh, the Wonky Gamer show at the start of the year, I said, you know, that this is one of the main games I'm looking forward to, and because it, it's it's a Quantic Dream one, so it's the, from the people who did Fahrenheit and. Um, uh, heavy rain yeah and so it's, it's that kind of interactive movie thing and this one is kind of set in the future where androids are working with the police department and the the, the level that i played was about an android that had kind of lost it a bit who, who was going to be replaced and was threatening to kill the girl of the family that he was in uh and you have to go around the apartment and do forensic analysis of everything that's happened to try and understand why he's doing it and get a better chance of talking him down off the roof Oh, this is the one that you were talking about with uh, the, uh, Yara from Spring Yeah, Game. when we were outside the Uncharted thing. Yeah. And we were talking about the different possible endings. And yeah, so the yeah, the the ending that I got, it was it turned out well for the little girl, not so much for me. 
<laughs> Fair enough. So I, I, I was kind of losing the Android a bit, and then it gave me an option just to leg it at him, so started hammering X and running towards him and pushed him off the roof, saved the little girl, but I went off as well. Nice. But apparently there were like uh, there's at least six different outcomes for that single encounter, and then as with all the rest of these games, that then uh, your actions in those scenes will inform what happens throughout the rest of the game, and you'll get a very very different experience every time. It harks back to the uh, original Blade Runner game on the PC back in kind of like the mid '90s that had like six different endings that you could choose nice. that were based on your decisions throughout the game. That's cool. So yeah, absolutely loved that, and I, I cannot wait for that to come out so I can just sit and play the entire thing. So yeah, that was that was my big AAA highlight of the weekend. That's cool. Um, the next one for me then is from Team Seventeen, and that was The Escapists Two, mm. which was uh, top-down eight-bit prison escape simulator. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's there's a the tutorial was pretty fun. It seems quite comic and lighthearted. Lighthearted doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, yeah, you basically have to uh, escape from whatever prison you end up in. Yeah, because it, it's part of a, a series of games. Because there's an escapist Walking Dead one as well, I think. Right. So that yeah, they, they do a series of different games, and I think they licensed Walking Dead for one of them. They seem pretty cool. I think it's obviously. More you can do in the prison. There's a lot more interactions, I would guess, in the real game than there was in the demo. Um, yeah, it'd be cool. fun to play. I, I, I think, again, for the weekend, for me, the kind of first-person adventure game was quite high on the list. Um, there were two in particular that stick in my mind that I played. One is The Town of Light. Ah, yes, I never got round to that. Yeah, which is a psychological horror adventure game set in a in an Italian mental hospital uh, and it kind of flips between modern day and the 1940s um, and like the whole thing they've mapped it all out with drones and it's all kind of like real life accurate wandering around this this asylum and I was chatting with uh, one of the the developers of the game and it's like that they, they wanted to make a game that was very much about kind of promoting how mental health is is viewed and treated and uh, so it's a, a, a kind of a story told through flashbacks and uh, just experimentation and investigation of this old asylum cool and it was yeah it it, it was very very uh, atmospheric and uh, I kind of got sucked in and was just like wandering around reading all the bits of things lying around. It was kind of like a slightly spookier version of Gone Home if you ever played Gone Home. I didn't know. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's one of those, it, it's kind of there is no, that. there's no actual danger, there's no monster after you, there's no other characters to really interact with but the story is all around you so it's in discarded bits of paper and notes left for people and tape recordings and it, it, it is what you make of it. So the more you get involved in it and the more you uh, read everything that's happening, the more you understand what's going on in the world. Okay. So it's that kind of thing. Rather, rather than it's uh, you're being chased around a house by something, you're just there to uncover what went on in this place. Cool. So, yeah, that was excellent. Um, 
And then the uh, the second one, uh, bear with me while I try and find it. It was Lake Ridden, uh, which is uh, basically you, you play a 13-year-old girl who's off camping with her sister and her sister disappears. And then she goes off looking for her and finds uh, a, basically like a kind of haunted house and... It's a kind of puzzle-solving first-person thing where you're being led around by a ghost and have to uh, follow clues. And it was, yeah, kind of dark and unsettling uh, with lots of kind of promises of releasing ancient evils and stuff. (laughs) Fair enough. So, yeah, those kind of things I absolutely adore. It's the ones that, you know... you. It could be you walking around doing these things. That's it's what originally attracted me to Mist, and that series was the way that Mist puts you in the game. Is it's you, and you have no instruction or anything. It's just you wake up and you're here. And right. how would you deal with it? So cool. yes, th- th- those were my two kind of big takeaways on the uh, on the adventure game front. See, I, I thought you were going to mention Tokyo Dark as well. Um, well, that, that that's not a first-person one. Oh, yeah, true enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, yeah, I, I guess yeah. That, that's the other category of games that I noticed there were quite a lot of over the weekend, which is the kind of interactive anime adventure. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Tokyo Dark was, was a particularly good example of that. And yeah, Forgotten was, Anne. Uh, Forgotten Anne. I'm, I'm leaving Forgotten Anne off my list because I raved about it so much last year. Mm. Um so there's nothing really to add to that. It's a stunning looking game. Yeah. Apart from you um, actually got to play it this time. <laughs> yeah, I played it last time. It just Did felt you, like it, I thought we only yeah, saw yeah. it last time. No, I I played it. Um, All right. But the demo felt like it had been expanded a little bit this year. Uh but yeah, no, it was really really good. Cool. Okay. Well, next up from you then. Um I'm going to go with Phantom Halls. <laughs> I knew you would. The game you yeah. went back to play twice. Phantom Halls. I fucking loved that game. <laughs> it, yeah, it like, looked amazing. It was great fun to play. Like, anything that has uh, an Evil Dead tie-in, Yeah, I'm always going to play. Um, but it was, I think for me, the fact that every time you loaded the game or loaded a new game, it would be different. Yeah, I guess, because it's procedurally... Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, the the kind of blurb on the game is it's a procedurally generated haunted, haunted house. house. Yeah. yeah. And you have to navigate your way around, fulfilling your own mission and collecting a party together and keeping them safe. As hilarious stereotypes. Yeah. Like, I played the LARPA first, and I lasted all of three minutes before being killed <laughs> by a falling chandelier. No, fuck! It was the bookcase. I think it that was, killed yeah, me. Yeah, it was the bookcase. Got you the, the first bookcase time. The bookcase killed me the next time. I think I played it so cautiously. I was looking everywhere. I wasn't trusting anything. Like it felt like anything could kill you, and um, it did. Yeah, and it did. Um, <laughs> and then I played it again on the Saturday, and I played as the metalhead. I picked up the writer, and then I picked up in my first like. Uh, loot box. I picked up like a submachine gun, mm. and I gave the submachine gun to this writer who's like quote, he's like a wannabe Edgar Allan Poe, and she's just coming up with all these wonderful quotes, and then blasting clowns and zombies and heads in the head with a with a submachine gun. Um, got killed by a 
fucking chandelier. Like, I tweeted the guys about it. Uh, the Phantom Halls team was like, chandeliers keep killing me. They're like, look for the flicker. I'm like, I am. <laughs> Still getting killed by them when they fall on me. Yeah, I, th- I think because they were having a thing over the weekend of who could get the most kills. And I think you had, you'd gotten the most kills, but every time you played the game, you'd never actually finish the mission. Yeah, never complete a single mission. <laughs> but, like, I was racking up the kills. Um, but, yeah, that, that game was awesome. And, like, I think that game would work really, really well on the Let's Play scene. Um, Definitely. Because... Especially if you've got multiple players. Yeah. Because, like, people watching that game aren't going to have anything spoiled for them if they haven't played it already, or and they're about to. Because their experience in that game will be entirely different to the Let's Play that they watch. It will be, and and from speaking to the devs, you know that they're going to be adding new characters and yeah. new potential random rooms, so it will only get more and more interesting the more you play it. Yeah, but I absolutely loved it. It's one of my top two games from the weekend. Cool. Um, okay, so what one for me from the Rezzed Zone was uh, Augmented Empire from Coatsync. Oh, yeah, you were raving about this one as Which well. Which I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> it's uh, an isometric real-time strategy a la XCOM, but using the Samsung Gear VR. So you actually have a full VR viewpoint down and as you're moving your characters around uh, the environment, and you have exactly the same kind of things as XCOM, where you can set your characters to respond as soon as one of the enemies comes into your line of sight and have them fire at those. And I, I thoroughly loved that. The the artwork on it was phenomenal, and it's a kind of again, it's a story-driven uh, tactical RPG. Yeah, which I thought was it was fantastic. Thoroughly loved that. Yeah, I think I was... I can't remember what I was playing. I was playing... You were oh, playing, playing Lost Words. Yeah, I was going to say, I was, I was playing my number one game from the weekend, yeah. which you just spoiled <laughs> for the listeners. Oh, oops! Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, we'll just run with it. Yeah. Uh, Lost Words was my game. Like, I loved that game. It, it had the look of Forgotten Anne, that similar sort of graphical style. Um... Which works so so well. So it's it's basically it's a, it's a platform game and it's set inside the pages of a diary. Um, and the story in the diary is written by Rihanna Pratchett, which was no word of like what dragged me towards that game in the first place. As soon as I saw that on the press blurb, I was like, I, I need to play this game. Um, and like you, the words are the platforms when you're in the diary. So you run on the words and you complete little puzzles in the diary. And then you're taking into a fantasy world um, where you explore the story that the the diary's writer is trying to tell. So it's quite meta in that respect. Um, and you use words to solve puzzles. Like, I, I thought the concept was great. I thought the mechanics of how you, like, if you had to get up to a particularly high cliff in the fantasy world... And there'd be like a little rock that was wobbling. You'd have the word rise in your diary. You put the word rise on that rock and it starts to rise up. Or, you know, if you use the word break, it breaks things. Word open to open locked gates and stuff. Thought that sort of interaction was really, really cool. I loved, I loved all that sort of game design. I think it'd be a really, really cool game for all ages. I can see, 
I can see young kids getting an awful lot out of it as well. So the aspirational nature of the story it's trying to tell, as well as the sort of real educational side of the problem solving. I just, I was just, I felt, I was like, well, the first thing I said to you after I played it was, is it possible to fall in love with a game? Because I just <laughs> did. Yeah. I absolutely loved that game. I thought it was incredible. Cool. Um, so I, I guess the only other one for a notable mention from me, I guess, was uh, Rogue Trooper Redux. Ah. Which, uh, you know, I, I'm a massive 2000 AD fan. I loved Rogue Trooper as a kid, and the fact that they've turned it into a kind of third-person shooter is phenomenal. And I had a, a play on that, and it, it plays really well. It's really slick. The graphics are excellent, and it's it's uh, very interesting to kind of see the backstory of uh, some of his of like Gunner and things. So you see Gunner as an actual character, and then he carks it, and then you put him in your rifle, and then carry on. So it's kind of how he gets all of his equipment together. Cool. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. That's fantastic. I guess in terms of honourable mentions, um, for me, Tokyo Dark and Raiders of the Broken Planet. Okay. With two other honourable mentions. Um, I thought they were both pretty cool. I think I preferred Tokyo Dark. Definitely, um, yeah. I mean, I think I'm not, I'm not a massive first-person shooter fan. Yeah. And I also thought that tutorial was a little limiting on Raiders. Yeah, I, I think because I, I had a play through it as well, and that it didn't quite. Uh, explain what the whole zapping into a camera thing was all about. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of got a little bit lost and then just ended up punching people and, yeah, it was a bit weird. Yeah, but, but at least uh, you didn't insta die on your first jump, like yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, definitely the uh, of all the stuff in the Square Enix Collective, most of that was phenomenal, because that's yeah. where Forgotten Anne was and Tokyo Dark and... They had the, the Turing test in there, which I'd played a couple of weeks previously, which is awesome. Yeah. So, yes, there we go. So, yeah, but all in all, it felt, I don't know, it felt a little bigger this year. It felt yeah. like there's more space. Yeah, definitely. Um, they definitely moved some things around. I think having the Twitch gaming streams and ESL over on one side, well, took that the way was kind of cool. Um, the uh, retro section was much better placed this year than it was last year, mm, uh, and, and much better kitted out as well. Oh, it was fantastic! You know, I just every time I would stop by there just and have five minutes of pinball before I yeah. went off to do something else. Yeah, it, it, it's all seemed much better laid out than it was last year. I think there's, that's, they're definitely improving there. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, oh, and the only, the only other interesting mention was the uh, Sony PlayLink, which we discovered on Ooh, Saturday. Yeah, that was awesome. Which is Sony's first foray really into uh, social gaming for the PS4. Yeah. Uh, so it, it kind of really hooks together people's mobile phones and a whole bunch of other stuff for the games that they've got. I think that they've got kind of three... Uh, flagship games for it, one of which is a kind of Cluedo-type whodunit that all the individual players can uh, make predictions as to who's done it throughout the game and interact with it using their mobile phones. Uh, Then there's a kind of Buzz-like quiz game, and then there's like iToy-type simple games that you can play as well. So, yeah... Uh, we, we we yeah we stopped by that and had a look at it on the on the Saturday and that was uh, an intriguing prospect from Sony. 
Yeah, it looked really interesting. I liked the uh, the investigative game that they had going on there. Yeah. Because it had a little bit of resistance about it because one of the players was definitely operating on their... With, with their own quest. Yeah, they, they had their... Own, their yeah, because that, that's their what it's called. Hidden, hidden Agenda is the name hidden of the agenda, game. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they were competing against the other three players. And, yeah, it was like... The story played out the same way for everybody, where they all had options on their phones as to uh, what to make of the clues and how to interpret them in their own ways and make guesses as to who they thought was responsible. Mm. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Um, and anything like Buzz, where you have to play against people for like quizzes and stuff, like I'm, I'm all, I'm all about that. Yeah, because I, I just checked when I got home because the uh, I think it's called Who Am I is yeah. is there, and so I'm gonna. I'll play on that one night with a couple of people around here, which is PS Plus. Sorry, is it? I feel like that's on PS Plus. It, it, yeah, it, it's yeah. a free. Yeah, it was a free game. I don't know when it was. I think it may, may have been a couple of months ago. Okay. Um, but it was it was in my library when I got home and was like, oh, okay, cool, nice. So uh, I can hook it up with the play link and see how it goes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely kind of play on that. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. Cool. So that was EGX. Uh, the one thing that was different this year is by the uh, by the entrance into the rest zone, they didn't have uh, a stand giving away tornado energy drinks. No, there was no energy drinks to keep you going this weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think maybe they learned from last year. <laughs> just, just people running around completely off their faces on yeah. colourings. Hordes, hordes of teens <laughs> smashed out their face on taurine. Yes. Oh, yeah. and of course, the other honourable mention has to go to uh, to Megan and her, her school that we <laughs> went along and uh, and thoroughly embarrassed them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Megan, your daughter puts <laughs> up with something. We're at con together. She always gets the worst of it. <laughs> Indeed. Sorry, <Yeah>. honey. <laughs> uh, cool. 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 Moving on to movies then. Okay, movie reviews, yeah. Well, actually, I'll start with American Assassins, because I know we've both seen it, so yes. we'll both talk about that. Um, American Assassins, very quickly, uh, this movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> um, okay. Not even Michael Keaton can save it. Like, it starts off really strongly. So your basic premise is that... Uh, the main lead character, whose name I can't even remember, that's how unimportant it was to me. <laughs> um, you get his entire inciting incident in the first three or four minutes. Basically, he's just proposed to his girlfriend. She said yes. They're on holiday um, when the, when he's when he's doing this. Uh, and he goes away. He leaves her in the sea and he goes to the beachside bar to get drinks. And as he does, a bunch of terrorists storm the beach and mow everyone down and she gets shot to death in front of him. Like... And in terms of current cultural memory, so to speak, the Tunisia attacks are still pretty fresh in a lot of people's yeah, minds. Yeah. And that's where I went. That's where my head went when I was watching it. And those first five minutes, some of the most affecting violence I've seen on the big screen without necessarily being bloody. Right. You know, it was more being able to relate that to a very real, very recent incident in the real world made that incredibly impactful. And I was like, wow, this is 
a very brave thing for the filmmakers to do because of potential backlash for insensitivity and it's sending a very strong message okay this film has got my attention and it just squandered it it absolutely pissed away all that goodwill and turned this film into a generic uh nothing guy turns out to be the best assassin there is with Mineral training, just you know, natural talent taking more the way. Okay. Kind of revenge stories. Yeah, that disappointing. Yeah, it could have been a really interesting discussion about the effects of. Uh, how did I put this? When I when I I, I, I tweet stormed a review of it. Um. But yeah, about the effects of radicalization on both sides right. of a conflict and how some actions might radicalize someone to a side or a way that you don't necessarily expect them to to, to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that this film could have been a really interesting conversation about that, especially as like the first 10 minutes after that horrible incident and the film started proper, you begin to think that maybe he's been you know, radicalized to fight for the terrorists against America. And then you realize, actually, no, he's just, you know, going on a revenge mission of his own. And he's trying to get himself in there. And that's what it, that's what it is. But yeah, it, it just, it just dropped too many balls and it just let a really strong intro fall away without any real payback for it or payoff. Uh, Michael Keaton does his best, but even he can't save it. The characters are all two dimensional and just just bland. Um, yeah, there's, there's even a third act sacrifice, which is completely pointless. It adds nothing to the narrative at all. Uh, and then the ending is the most fucking ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's like, it's like the filmmakers thought, well, this is stupid, but if anyone's engaged with the film at this point, then they're not going to care about, about this... <laughs> underwater nuke that we're setting off. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, it's just it's just irredeemable. Um and given how the film plays out after the opening, irresponsible. <laughs> there you go, that's your tagline right there. Irredeemable and irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's your review. <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking hated it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm getting that feeling. <laughs> um, but the other film I saw I know you've seen it too. I didn't hate. Um, and that's it. Indeed. Cool. Um, yeah, so it. Um, so I, mean, I guess just, just to get a barometer on it, have you. So I, I assume you saw the original miniseries. Yes. And have you read the book? No. Right, okay. So now I know where to pitch things because I've, I've seen the original miniseries and I've read the book. Yeah, you've seen the series, haven't read the book. Um, I'm. I was confused when I came out of the film, not because of anything that I watched, but because of how I was feeling. Uh-huh. Um, something about it disappointed me, and I think the fact that it didn't scare me at all, despite what, repeated concerted effort, yeah, is is <laughs> what is what scared me. Is what it disappointed me rather. Hmm. Um, and I think both before on the on the last podcast and on other podcasts we've been on recently, my. My, my my tolerance of horror films has been well discussed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I was expecting to be scared, and I wanted to be. Um, I think 
maybe the fact that I went to the midnight screening and it was really busy has something to do with that. Because I think when you're an anxious person and you're waiting in a busy foyer for a film and you're seeing groups of lads, lads, lads around the place, like, for me... Nothing that film could put on screen would be scarier than yeah, the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Being in I mean, had had it been a midnight screening yeah. and there was only you in there, <laughs> I think it. If, I, if I'd been on my own, I think it would have terrified me. Um, but because like people were laughing at certain bits, and because the guys behind me wouldn't stop kicking my fucking seats and Damn them. squiggling and jumping, like because of that, I think I was brought out of it a little bit more. Right. Okay. But also. There's that safety in numbers thing, so I wasn't, I wasn't scared. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that takes nothing away from the film itself. It's definitely creepy. It definitely tackles um, issues. I suspect that we're in a generation of kids who are going to completely miss the metaphor of the movie, judging by the way they were laughing at some of the things on the screen. More than likely. Um. I thought it was really well shot. I thought the look of it was great. I thought the kids were fantastic. Um, although I know Finn, who played Richie, mm. I know Richie's meant to be the mouth, uh, that he's meant to be annoying, but he annoyed me a little too much. Yeah. Of all the kids, I thought he was the worst. I thought he was acting like the success of Stranger Things had gone to his head and he was a bigger bigger role than he actually was. Yeah. It felt a little forced and over the top for me. So do you think it was kind of... It, they had to play his role up even more because of Stranger Things? I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to... I, I wouldn't want to say, but it just, okay. like... It felt like... I don't know. It, it felt over the top compared to the other performances mm. um, and it was a little grating at times. Okay. That's only a very right. tiny complaint. Okay, well, I, I, I have several issues with it. Okay. Um, m- most notably are in, in the differences between the, the, the book and the film. Yeah. Um, and, and even from the original miniseries. I guess I felt it spent too much time trying to scare us. Uh, so there were jump scares all over the place. Yeah. There were cheap shots, Far too many. cheap shots all over the place, and it was really ramming home the fact that Pennywise knows what scares you, and he'll keep scaring you with it until you're not scared anymore. Yeah. Um, and and that came at the expense of actually exploring the relationship between the kids. Yep. So I, I felt that there was a definite missed opportunity there because, you know, that, that whole summer thing is about the kids getting together and bonding as the losers club. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that, that's who they are. And, and the fact that it, it should have focused on the whole thing of them getting together and working together and the idea of belief in themselves and in their own powers are what defeats Pennywise. Yeah, it's 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 not whatever it was in this way. It was just them banding together and kicking the shit out of him with baseball bats. That's that's not how they beat him. They they beat him with the power of belief. Yeah. Okay. So you know, it, it's the fact that uh, ri- uh, not Richie, the uh, is it Mike? I can't remember the the, the Jewish kid. There was the asthmatic. Um, 
Uh, it's his belief in his medicine that saves him at one point throughout it. Yeah, I think that plays into the TV series, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't he spray Pennywise the clown? Indeed, and says it's battery acid, and yeah, it's it's all about belief. And I think that that kind of segment of it was completely lost. Yeah. And it just came down to, well, they're all together in one room and can therefore kick the shit out of him. So, yeah, that, that I had a very big issue with. Um... I was interested at the the, the shift in timeline <clears throat> because in in the book and in the original the kids are are in the 1950s yeah. and then the modern day is the 1980s whereas now it's the kids in the 1980s and the next film will be present 2019s. day. Yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be 2019 when it's yeah. released in 2019. Which I thought was a very interesting way of doing it and and I thought they dealt with that very, very well. Um, I, yeah, so I, I guess I, I came out of it thinking that, you know, the I, I think they overplayed a lot of Pennywise with his abilities, you know, the kind of shape-shifting and turning into other things. It, it was all a bit too kind of cartoon villain. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think that lost the impact of him just being like a creepy presence. Okay. Because when he was just there as Pennywise and the clown, and like when he's talking to Georgie under the sewers, that's yeah. him being creepy yeah. and was, you know, thoroughly effective at it. Uh, but to see him just, you know, malforming himself and crunching all his bones around and stuff was just like, eh, more CGI. So it gave too much away for you? Well, it wasn't necessarily that it gave too much away. I just, I just think it gave him more abilities and made them more apparent. Okay. So I think it just, it, yeah, they, they they kind of overpowered him. Really, made him too powerful and and have too much resources to make it believable that the kids could beat him. Yeah, that's fair. And he... Okay, yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was relatively scary, um, but I, I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities, certainly in terms of exploring the relationship between the kids and setting it up for the next film. Yeah, well, the next film was gonna probably still have the kids in it to a degree. Yeah, I think they'll be exploring a lot of stuff in flashbacks that they yeah. didn't really get round to, which you know. I guess if they do that and then they do explore the relationship between the kids a bit more, that'd be great. But I just feel like they could have done that in this one where yeah. they've kind of unpicked the two narratives. Cause in the book, the two narratives happen at the same in like they're, they're interleaved. So you are constantly jumping from the past to the future throughout the course of the book. Yeah. And then you get to the end of the book and you have the showdown with Pennywise in, in both the past and the present. Okay, at cool. the same time, so you don't know how it plays out. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see how they go, right? Then. Like, Indeed. So, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it's going to have... Uh, I think because they've unpicked the narrative and turned it into uh, essentially a, 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 a linear plot rather than jumping about through time, I, I think it's... Again, it may have lost something in the retelling. Okay. Do you think that was... I'm going to put my cynical hat on here. 
Do you think that was a deliberate attempt to cash in on this current wave of 80s nostalgia? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah we, without a then. shadow of a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's not, not just me then. That's no, right. hell no. And, um, and sadly, I think Ready Player One's going to be a shining example of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I bet I'm, I'm reserving judgment now. I've said, I've said my piece about that after Indeed. SDCC. Yeah. So, um, okay. So yeah, but I, 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 I will go and see the the second one and see how it turns out. But yeah, in all fairness, when I went out and uh, that night went to see it, stopped by Sainsbury's on the way home and bought the original miniseries on Blu-ray and watched it. Nice. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's Tim Curry. It's yeah, Tim Curry and Tim Curry is fabulous. It, it's it's got such it's John Ritter's in it and John Ritter is yeah. fabulous in it. Isn't Seth Green in it? Yeah, Seth Green yeah. is one of the kids. Yeah, he's Mike. Yeah. Um, are you going to give it a grade? Um, I would probably give it six. Out of ten? Yeah. Um, Just for the missed opportunity of what it could have been. I think I'm slightly more generous. Um, I think I, I go as far as a seven. Okay. Uh, it doesn't get anything above an eight because for a horror film it didn't scare me. No. Um but I did enjoy the metaphor. I, I I did like seeing a film that was clearly about something, um, that that clearly had a a deeper contextual reading to the one being displayed as a horror film. Yeah. Um, and I dismayed that it was I think completely it's really glossed over and missed yeah. by people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, for those wondering what contextual reading I'm getting from it, the film is about adolescence. Yeah. It, it, it is. It's a coming-of-age movie. Yeah. With a, very, a supernatural a, twist. Yeah, in a very literal sense in some stages. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just uh, with with the idea of coming-of-age and adolescence, reevaluate Bev's bathroom scene. Yeah. Um, and, and see it in that context, through that lens. And then what, you'll get what what's what's even more creepy in the original and what they didn't do in this one is that, you know, after she spends hours cleaning all of that up and walks out, then she turns around and it's back to covered in blood again. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, that's 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 the reading we're getting. Cool. Something a bit more light hearted? After that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you say that, but I know that we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery and the Orville, which one, of, right. them is, one of them is light-hearted, one of them isn't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before we get to that stage then, um, we mentioned it on our full preview series. Uh, I managed to binge-watch all of American Vandal, which was the uh, mockumentary docu-series crime drama. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That, that wonderful set of words that should never go together in a sentence. And it is the weirdest show I've ever seen in a in, in quite a while, um, but I loved it. I thought it was really good. Uh, very briefly, for those who haven't watched it, it takes on the role of a show like Serial or Making a Murderer, but the crime at the centre of it is this guy Dylan has been expelled from school for allegedly graffitiing 27 cars with giant penises. Okay. But it plays it so straight. It's so good. It's a complete breakdown of the genre, but also a really interesting satire on the state of a modern socially media driven teen generation. Okay. Um, 
but I thought it was really well thought out, really well put together. Um, and the part that got me, I think it's an episode four. Um, they bring up the splatter conversation. Um, and they analyze the graffiti on the cars, having got the hands on a similar kind of spray paint. And they realize that you have to shake it every 10, every 10 minutes before use. Otherwise, when, otherwise it won't work. And the first blast will always leave a splatter stain. And they're examining this idea of a, a, a red paint splatter, uh, in the same, Forensic detail that blood splatter has been. Oh, it sounds like Dexter. Yeah, has been um, analysed in the actual serious versions oh, of okay. the genre. Uh, but I thought it was great. Like it's on Netflix. It's I think like ten episodes long. I think I binged it all in, a, in one sitting, so it kind of blurred together. Um, but it's it's worth watching. Um, okay. If you don't want to watch that, then Limitless is now on Netflix, and you should definitely watch that. Oh, everyone needs to watch Limitless. Yeah. It was an awesome show. Yeah. It was sadly cut off in its prime. After just the one season. Which brings us nicely onto what Fox are going to do with the Orville. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the two sci-fi shows that started recently. So we've got the Orville, which is a Star Trek satire and spoof, and Star Trek Discovery, which is Star Trek in name only. Okay. Um, so far, Discovery hasn't got anything about it that makes me think it's Star Trek other than the name and the uniform. There's no wonder, there's no exploration, there's no excitement, and there's no utopia. It's, there's definitely no utopia, and that's yeah, that's my biggest problem with that's it. My, that's my issue with it. It is a super, <laughs> it's a super grimdark Star Trek series, which I guess is in fitting with the J.J. Abrams movie verse. But it's, Star Trek. but it's not in fitting with where it's set in the Star Trek chronology. No, because it's, it's between, ten years before the original series. It's between M- Enterprise finishing and Star Trek beginning, which yeah. is like a massively hopeful era of the Federation. Yeah, this is ten. This is set ten years before the original series, like before Kirk's um, first voyage. Like we should be a unified Federation, looking forward to the future. Instead, we are. Dragged into a, a conflict with the Klingons. Going by what the creators have said on the After Trek show, but the sound of it is this series is going to be dystopia. Start to finish, it's going to be dystopia. But the writers have said that they can't carry that on for more than one season. So, like, you'll eventually see hope in the, in the next season. And it's like, well, you're kind of missing the point of Star Trek. Well, indeed, you know, the, the whole point of Star Trek is that it, it is utopian yeah. in its ideology. That's what Star Trek is. Every single one of them is about utopia. I'm wondering whether the switch to Netflix-style bingeable TV shows is the reason why this show has taken that turn. Maybe, but I mean, the, in terms of that, it, it, it's a thing that, you know, CBS are hanging their whole new CBS access thing off this show. It's got a good pedigree, it's got a great cast, it, you know, hopefully it will find its feet, but I just, for the first couple of episodes just have not gripped me at all. No. I, I don't care. <laughs> I literally don't care about the characters. Same. And and that's tough. Whereas, you know, if, if you take the Orville, I, you know, that much as that's a satire, that has proven to be more in the actual spirit of Star Trek than Star Trek. Well, of course it is. Like, I'm going to say it's, it, it obviously is, 
going to be that way because in order to be a satire or something, you have to be so familiar with the thing you are satirizing, you know. Uh, and I think and it's then, not yeah. even just being familiar with it, you know. The, the episode two was written by Brandon Bragan, directed yeah. by Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah, <laughs> two <laughs> massive names in the world of Star Trek, um, you know, and and it was fabulous. I think some of the jokes fell a little flat. I, um, I think that they may well have done, actual, but you know but what? The story was great. I like. Yeah. I, I was. I I liked the idea of the zoo. Yes, I like the hologram trick that they they used to capture the captain and his first officer. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, it, it that yeah, you're right. It feels more Star Trek. Than oh, Star weirdly, Trek. that whole zoo thing literally played out in an episode of Rick and Morty this week as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly the same plot. But that was, you know, I, I thought it was utterly fantastic. And you know, I, sometimes uh, Seth MacFarlane stuff can go a bit far and be a bit base. But I think this is pitched absolutely perfectly. I'm not quite on board there. I don't think. I f- I feel like for a comedy, it's missing some of the humour, and and it's not hitting those marks for me. And I'm not quite as engaged as I think I would be. Maybe it's just because I'm actually viewing it more as a serious sci-fi show. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, maybe <laughs> uh, with a little bit of comedy in it, and I like that because it's it it makes them infallible in ways that characters in Star Trek and so forth can't be. Yeah, like you know they can't have hang-ups with their parents and and laugh about it on screen. That that you know they can't have failed marriages and bitch about people eating cereal and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but but I love it because it makes it more human. And it's it it's 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 a more realistic future than is posed by the Star Trek Utopia. Yeah, but even in the future when we're a much more enlightened civilization that can travel between planets, we're still going to bitch and moan at each other about stupid shit. And I love that. I think that's fantastic. But I have utterly no hope in the fact it'll go beyond season one because it's on Fox. Yeah, well, my and also there's only so much mileage you can get out of that joke. Yeah. I think that's the issue. Um, we might see a second season if we're lucky, but beyond that, it will get tired quite quickly. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It does feel more Trek than Trek. It, it has actual heart to the show. Yeah, and you care about the characters. The guy playing the android does the best data impression as well. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't have that connection with Discovery, and it's not, and and it's no good people saying it's only been two episodes because it's only been three episodes of the Orville. Well, it's only been two that I've seen of the Orville so far. Yeah, there's a third one out as well. Yeah, I, I, I've only seen one and two, and they're phenomenal. Yeah, I I feel like I endured through Star Trek Discovery, whereas I enjoyed the first two episodes of the Orville. Yeah, now I, th- I think in the third episode of Discovery, um, we get a blip forward in time. And Michael Burnham gets a gets a reprieve from prison because the Federation is deep at war with the Klingons by this point, and that's when she gets drafted to the Discovery, right? Where Jason Isaacs is commanding, and I think from that point on, you know, we might see more life come into the show. The problem is that if you have an overarching season plot, which is the Klingon War, and it seems to be the one that dominates this this show, based entirely on the first two episodes, that seems to be the big thing, then is it going to just be every episode them dealing with the Klingons, dealing with Klingon war, or are we going to get those 
those bottle episodes where they'll actually go off and do some exploration, meet I, some I, other civilizations. I don't think we will, and I think that that's my problem with it, is yeah. that it's launching straight into an ongoing war arc, but you can't do that until you've established characters and you actually care about them. Yeah, from my point of view, I think if they'd planted the seeds for a Klingon war in the first episode, and then maybe four or five episodes into it, after escalating tensions, finally bring us to that stage of conflict, then you have a better narrative. Which, you know, is what they did with Enterprise, which, you know... It it had its problems, most notably its theme tune. Yeah. Now, I'm very, very pleased that this has a, a Star Trek theme tune. It's yeah. great. I love it. I love the orchestration. But again, I still think that the Orville's doing a better job of the orchestration as well. When I was watching it, the first thing that I tweeted was, in all the obvious visual homages to Star Trek, I hope someone takes notice of the fact that the Orville's theme tune skates so close to Dennis McCarthy's work on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, indeed. It's... And it, even the, the coming back from the ad breaks and stuff yeah. is perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I can't dispute that. In fact, I, I called it. Dennis McCarthy should be getting royalties from whoever's composing <laughs> um, the score for the Orville. Because, yeah, it, it's it's on point. It's It's Star Trek. Yeah, it's Star Trek music, but yeah, it's totally a, isn't. It's brilliant <laughs> on a different show. It's not Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I was disappointed with Discovery. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm not disappointed. I'm nonplussed. Yeah, I think I'm just holding out that this is all just a, an extended prologue, rather than rather than. And they're else. actually going to get into the plot when they yeah. start the next episode. And like episode episode three is going to be the plot, the actual. Well, Let's hope so. Yeah, but on the plus side, if you want to, if you want to, you can watch it with Klingon subtitles. Mm. Thank you, Netflix. Yeah, you can. <laughs> Cheers, Netflix. Man, that took my impressions on Twitter to like over twenty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got picked up by Twitter and put into one of Twitter's moments. <laughs> added, added to that moment, yeah. So yeah, I got, I got a lot of retweets and I got, yeah, the impressions of my. My profile just gone straight up. Nice. Uh, yeah. What else do we have? I, I think that's about it, sir. Have we covered I th- everything? I think we have achieved what, what we have set we out to achieve. I, I'm sure we probably missed something. I can't think what it is. We uh, probably have. So, on the next show, I will have seen Blade Runner 2049. I will probably also have seen that and Kingsman 2. So we'll talk about those and whatever else happens in the world of nerd between well, now and then. Yeah, I, I, I will be at uh, SFW in the city next weekend. So uh, next, when we record, I will have just come back from that. So if you have seen me there, then I hope you said <laughs> hi. It, uh, that, that, it's this time thing again, it's messing with my brain. If you are going, come and say hi. If you did go, I hope you did. <laughs> you're nicely timey wimey my friend yeah. <laughs> uh, I depending will stick, when you listen <laughs> I will stick um, all the games we played at EGX in the show notes yep we have a list of all of those and, and, and all the release dates and stuff of them if you've seen Subject Discovery and the Orville let us know your thoughts is Orville really better Trek than Trek at the moment uh, we'd love to hear your opinions Engage with us on Twitter. Ah, engage. See what I did there? That was, I uh, did. 
That was unbelievable. Are you, are you actually fishing for marriage proposals? <laughs> so engage with us there um, on at Nerd versus World on the Twitters. Yeah. But that's all for this episode. So I've been Brendan. I've been Spindles. And until next time, take care and be excellent to each other. You rock star. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn. laughs>